gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing i'm doing just fine i've realized that i am actually a cat dreaming i'm a man how are you i'm very good thank you it's all uh yeah it's all dreams and nightmares going through <laughs> and i said again and meta moments of uh, of reliving things um as I say, this episode is we're doing something a little different. Um, we've never done this before. In the last episode, we watched Open Your Eyes, the the Spanish uh film, and in this episode, we have watched and we are going to discuss Vanilla Sky, the American remake by Cameron Crowe from 2001. So, this is it's <laughs> I was gonna say a very similar film, it's the same film, it's a remake. <laughs> Uh, for for Western audiences, or at least English-speaking audiences. So, on that front, Julian, what were your initial thoughts of Vanilla Sky? Um, In the past, I would have said that uh, Abre los Ojos was um, slightly better than Vanilla Sky. Um, Now I think Vanilla Sky is superior. Um, Mm. I was... We talked before about how uh, Abre los Ojos was a little flat, and sort of mm. not emotionally engaging. I was not just emotionally engaged, but fucked up by this movie. Yeah. And we'll go into it in some depth. But I mean, I, this movie is like, I have a list of just like themes that it's like, this is a reflection of my life. It is like a piece of cinema designed to take a scalpel to Julian's brain. Um, <laughs> so what were your first reactions? No, I, I I struggle to say which one's superior, and I think I have a decision. Um, however, I had a, yeah, I was, as I fair, I said I had a weird like meta moment with this film because it's so similar to uh, Open Your Eyes. In that I was watching moments of this film, sat in the same place in the same room, <clears throat> in on the same day of the week watching this film, and there's moments, and I'm like, yeah, this this feels like some glitch in the matrix like some weird deja vu um because there are scenes that are very very similar it does have that thing however one of the things is i i uh, there are moments of this film that are superior to open your eyes and there are there are things that i think are inferior to open your eyes and as a whole i'm not yet sure and i think this discussion will probably help me come to uh that conclusion um I definitely felt more engaged with this one uh, on a character basis. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't a language barrier thing. This is more about me engaging with the characters and the story. And there's a reason for that I'll get into. However, there are other things tonally that sort of didn't quite work or work better, I think, in Open, in open Your Eyes. 
Um, however, before we get into all that, let's give you a very brief plot because you you should know the story by now. If you've been listening along, you should have listened and listened to the <laughs> for the last week. However, there's some slight changes. Life is good for a David Ames. I'm not even reading this one. I'm going to remember it. Life is good for David Ames. He is the uh, owner of three magazines and is incredibly rich. Uh, because of both his father's wealth that he's inherited and this massive company. Firstly, the idea in 2021 that you can own three magazines and be this wealthy is laughable. <laughs> so, you know, how things have changed in 20 years. Um, David goes from bed to bed and woman to woman and party to party. He's a bit of a sort of, he's a Lothario and a playboy. Um, and he has been having an on-off fuck buddy relationship with uh, Julian Giuliani Gianni, played by... Uh, Oh my god, leggy blonde, um, which is terrible to say. Cameron, <laughs> Cameron, Cameron Diaz, thank you. Yeah, um, uh, and he also, <laughs> oh, Cameron, leggy blonde, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, David Ames, played by Tom Big Grin Cruz, yeah, um, uh, and he's also, uh, pl- uh joined by his one of his, his close and best friend, um. Who is writing a novel and who is his novel is being paid for by Ames, uh, played by Jason Lee. Uh, into this mix, Jason Lee uh, presents his friend or woman he meets in the library, Sophia, again, played by Penelope Cruz. Ames falls for Sophia on the spot and they share a night of, well, intellectual compatibility. They meet and they sort of they share a moment. And as the film sort of says it, a moment in which they believe that true love could be possible um and at the end of that night they have not slept together they've just shared a simple kiss and ames leaves to find uh juliana sat outside in her car she has been following him and um this is where it starts to vary in certain areas feeling bad and guilty for the things the way he has treated her ames gets in the car to have to sort of go with her However, it transpires that Juliana confesses that she is actually in love with David and has been done and is broken hearted to know that he has been going off with another woman. In a moment of passion and rage uh, and a fight between the two of them, she drives her car off a bridge uh, just outside Central Park, killing herself and disfiguring Ames. Ames goes into a coma and eventually when he comes out after reconstructs his surgery, he has troubles facing up to the world. He suffers from psychological damage as well as physical uh, disability. He's lost the use of his arm and sort of does not look at himself in the face. Uh, Eventually, he is able to go and see Sophia and arranges for them to go and have a night at a disco. Uh, They go to the disco and much like in the other film, it goes badly uh, and Sophia leaves them at the end of the night. However, he pictures that she has gone off with his best friend and in his rage... um, may have done something daft however he wakes up the next morning to find that Sophia is waiting for him and they have a torrid and whirlwind love affair in which they love each other wildly Uh, other things go on eventually until uh, one night they're sharing he wakes up sees his own face as it was and also sees the bed is now being populated by Giuliani who he believes was dead it's all the same this is where he eventually kills her and we now know there's a mystery um and so is it a dream? Is it a reality? We'll get into all of this. It's exactly the same plot in many, many ways. There's certain things I didn't mention, but we'll get into those M- details, as you said, that vary. So now that we've got the plot out of the way, let's talk about this film. 
uh, from the opening shot. Before, it was Madrid. Mm. Now it's Times Square, New York. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's much more creepy. I mean, and I, I don't think just because I'm an American to mm. see the streets of New York empty and then Times Square empty. Mm. It's, it is. It's, it's much more affecting because it's... Like Madrid is, is a known Spanish city, but internationally, like New York, those iconic uh, billboards sort of doing their thing, but no one around. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of people that must have been very disrupted to make these shots. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting as well, though, I find, because <clears throat> um, it's never it's nowhere else in the film, is that in that scene, and I don't think this, this may not mean anything, because uh, I was looking for things, but in that scene, David is r- driving a Ferrari. Uh, a 1960s Ferrari, <clears throat> but when he comes to, because it's a it's a dream. When he wakes up, he's actually driving a 67 Mustang, which mm-hmm. is an American car. So I, I didn't know if that was a sort of a note to European its its origins. I didn't know, but it was. I noticed it. Yeah, there there are some weird things like that um, that are sort of. I feel like they're there that like Cameron Crowe sort of like put them in in case you want to go deeper. Mm. Um, there's a scene where, um, he's talking and another person with a mask walks through the background. Um, uh, and then I think there's, um, you know, it's like little things like there's, um, a a sticker on the car that says February 30th, you know, that it's Mm. like, ha ha, if you want to believe (laughs) that it's a dream, here it is. So, I mean, I think these are sort of Cameron Crowe sort of adding layers for those who want to go to that depth and find that interesting. Mm. Okay, so there are are those things. I was looking for things like that, and there's a couple like that where you can say, like, you know, is it like an inception thing where you can tell this bit is the dream and and that sort of thing? The thing is, like you say, there there are moments in this, and we'll get to it later on, when, I'm not it's no spoiler, we know that at some point this thing splices. And in, in Open Your Eyes it's less obvious mm, mm-hmm. in this there is a they even put there's a sound in the audio design that's sort of mm-hmm. is like a tape being spliced and edited and wound on and it's like okay like you know that's a weird sound to have at that moment so well i think that what's going on with sound in this film is incredibly impressive um Partly it's because it's got all of these American songs in it. It's got, you know, R.E.M., it's got the Mm. Beach Boys, it's got, you know, um, a a lot of great, it's got Peter Gabriel, it's got these kinds of iconic songs that stick with you. But also there's a lot of, like, overlapping that's being done, um, you know, orchestral music mixed with sort of... uh, um, you know, very much that sort of like wall of sound, pet sounds uh, mm-hmm. idea with, you know, as he sort of realizes toward the end, like this is all a fantasy and it's crying for tech support. I mean, you get these kind of like sound collages. And I think the sound in this film really sets it apart from the previous one. And I think in a good way, even though, you know, you can argue it's too obvious. <sighs> I'm, I am going to argue something on that. Uh, and it's not about... Because I do agree that the sound design in this film is actually really good. Because I think it also uses moments of silence, like, and, like, dead silence, like, really well. Um, it, at several occasions. 
I, it's not so much the use of music, it's the actual the use of these songs. Mm. Um, and it feeds into the tone of this film that I think I have a bit of a problem with, or at least I struggle with. With Open Your Go Eyes, ahead. it felt it felt like a, it, you know, we said it was dark. Like, it felt like a, a descent into madness. Like, you know, when you see that... Um, well, what's he called in that film? The main characters, you know, when you see him, he's disfigured and stuff. And you see that he, that resentment and bitterness and everything starts to come out. Like it feels dark, and the film is dark, and it sort of it has those moments. Where all the light starts to go away, and then when he goes to see uh, Sophia in that film in the park, it's raining, and it's sort of like again, like it's this sort of you know, it, it all reflective of the mood the film's supposed to be. This film never has that. It's sort of like. Like you say, it's got Beach Boys and um, these songs that are constantly upbeat and the, the film's always sort of like, it's setting up the autumn and into the winter, at least the beginning. It? But it still feels, um, you know, the, the sun is still bright and there's never overcast because I know it's supposed to be like vanilla skies, that's the point, but it sort of, it never feels tonally... The, the, Horror is the thriller or suspenseful or sort of like that, that sort of element is is gone a little bit. Um, I, I think that's one reason why when I was younger I liked the the Spanish one better. Mm. Um, you know, besides that, I, I like the actor who played Cesar better, and, and he's Cesar, he's, yes. he's more unlikable uh, mm. than Tom Cruise will let himself. I mean, to me, that sort of strikes me as a difference between. Uh, um, Amenabar and Cameron Crowe. I mean, Cameron mm. Crowe is coming off of like almost famous. He's selling yeah. this to a American audience. Um, I know what you're saying about the music, that the music it is more upbeat and it does sort of tell you how to feel, right? I mean, that's part of the point of cinema music. Mm. Uh, Peter Gabriel is like the ultimate, you know, making a romantic connection song, right? Yeah. Um, I will say for the Beach Boys song, I mean, I, I do like the Beach Boys. And for the Beach Boys song, that song is used ironically. Mm. Um, you know, so it's like I'm picking up good vibrations as there's nothing but bad vibrations yes. going on. Yeah, it's yeah. like the sound of insanity. Um, so I, I mean, I like when songs are used ironically, um, you know, sort of um, um, clockwork orange-esque yeah, uh, juxtapositions. I would say it works. It works at that point towards the end, like you said, when it becomes manic almost, and and I get that because it has that manic feel to it. Like there, there's an energy, but it's almost like a, a pent up, you know, kind of thing. To like say, the, but there's other parts of the film where it just, it's just sort of like, mm -hmm. it just comes across as cheery, and I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling cheery. Um, so yeah. th th that, that that's it's a minor quibble in in grand scheme of things. But it does sort of like it played a part into where I'm like, mm, there's something sort of missing from this film, or at least it doesn't. There's, there's a sort of a, an off key choice, let's say. And I know what you mean, and I don't disagree with it. Um, mm. Having said that, one of, I mean, in the long list of things that are, are very minor that I think this film does do better, um, there are a few things that I think it, are worse. But one of the things that it does is suggest that this fantasy world after the splice is made up of things from his childhood and yes. things, you know, uh, that he cobbled together in this sort of like wizard of Oz esque way. Um, you know, so you have like the snowboarding, you, you know, but you have a lot of popular culture. 
mm. which I have a, a sort of odd feeling about because it, it it's kind of sad to me the degree to which we define our lives by things we have nothing to do with and think we know these celebrities and stuff like that. But um, this is also much more the, the soundtrack of my life. Um, you know, you know, Peter Gabriel, there's at least a couple R.E.M. songs in there. I mean, R.E.M. was mm. incredibly important to me. And so, you know, this strikes me as, um, you know, having more of that emotional resonance, you know, for me as an American of a certain generation uh, when this came out. No, I, I can agree with that. And the, the music feels very timely. Um and very American, like it's Americana. Uh, and I, I uh, you, as you say, I love that moment at the end when the tech support is explaining to him, like, well, no, you populated this with moments from your life. You know, and they explain things like, here's a father figure that you sort of like, you've cobbled together from these sort of like this ideal that you have, or uh, an album the, cover that you have. Album like, is, is it the yeah. freewheeling Bob Dylan? Yeah, that you've replicated in this sort of thing. And it clearly, it's clearly touched you, the snowboarding, all this stuff. Like all of that was like is a really cool idea that isn't in the other film. Like this, like, you know, that thing of like, oh no, yeah, this is all in your head. Like there's no one else to blame for this, but like everything else is this ideal that you've sort of created. Um, that idea is is really good. Um, yeah, but the use of the music does, I think, is conflicting for me. Um, let's let's talk about the cast. Um. Because I'm I'm curious as how has your feelings about this. There are four main characters. Well, there's a, there's actually more, but um, we've got to talk about we've got to talk about Tom Cruise. Um, yes, let's go through as as David Ames. What are your feelings about Tom Cruise? You know, this is prime time or prime A. You know, this is top level Cruise. He was sort of you know, um, this, this is following on from sort of Jerry Maguire, Magnolia. Uh, um, eyes wide shut so he's you know he's riding high so what are your thoughts of, of him in this film um i i think that tom cruise can carry a film um yeah. I, I i i don't think he is i mean i i don't like the mission impossible films and you know i mean he's done a lot of things and he's attracted to things that i don't like i think that i certainly love magnolia and and eyes wide shut but I think that he comes across as kind of hollow and mugging for the camera at times. Mm. Um, I think he does a fine job. I think this is a, a fine performance overall. Um, there are shots where I think, oh, we're getting a good performance out of Cruz. Uh, but then there are other shots where, you know, it often happens where nobody's around. Where, like, he's looking in the mirror after the dream of having gone to the mirror and him still being facially disfigured. He wakes up, he goes back to the mirror, and he sort of, like, mugs and makes faces for the, the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I get that. It doesn't feel like a Curb Your Enthusiasm moment where you see that and you think, oh, yeah, that's a thing we all kind of do sometimes and you never see in cinema. It feels like it's Tom Cruise mugging for the camera. Yeah. What are your thoughts? No, I know what you said about those smaller moments like that. Um, I think him, I think this is perfect for Cruz because he is hollow. Um, however, and I think, you know, where where we said about um, Cesar in the last film, like, doesn't really have an arc. Like, you know, it always the whole film seems about his vanity, about his sort of, um, 
bitterness, uh, having something taken from him. This film feels different. Like there's something more to it. Uh, and that that character, it's, it, it almost feels a little bit like not not so much Christmas Carol, but it has that sort of thing of like you know being given the opportunities. Um, but there's there's this sort of like the crews, the, the the Ames you meet at the beginning, David Ames before the accident. It's just it feels like Cruz being Cruz, like he's you know he is he's being charming and he's sort of like doing his thing and sort of like, and when he meets Sophia, like it feels there's there's definite chemistry between him and. Uh, Penelope Cruz and she's wonderful again like she's clearly you know it's, it's no surprise having you know, watched these films back about why she had a, such a career after this film um, that like they have chemistry so when they have that night where they're talking and that sort of thing like when I watched it you know, open your eyes it, there, there was last year I was like I'm not entirely sure what she saw in him like you know there's mm-hmm. moments of it but he always felt he always felt <laughs> Like he was acting, like it was a play to get something. Like it never felt like he legit in that night was changing for her. But in with with Cruz, there's something there where it's sort of like I don't. I'm not gonna say it's more subtle, but like you, I feel like the, that moment that night with Sophia changes him, like legit changes him. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh, actually, this woman makes me want to be a better person, like. You know, like me being with her is good for me. Um, and like when he talks about like him, him and his best friend, like in the other, in, again, it's in Open Your Eyes, he's like, Yeah, he's my best friend. That's why I'm not going to tell him. You know, it's not, yeah. I'm not going to hurt him. You know, it, it, what, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. In this, it's almost like he justifies it a bit more. And it's still like a dick move, but he's like, Yeah, look, he met you today. And to be fair, he probably would do the same thing, and I'll probably let him do it. You know, like yeah, he's a good guy, but this is what's happened. Um, and so when it sort of like falls apart, like I feel m- more, you know, that there's more lost than I do in the other film, and so I sort of sympathise with him more in this one, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, to your point. Uh, Cruz has lines that say, like, I regret getting in that car, uh, both at mm. the end and when he's talking to Sophia. Um, and that's something that we don't really see in the other film. Mm. Um, so it's not much of a character arc, but it's there. If you know, I mean, and I agree with you that it does seem like that night affected him, um, which helps explain why he would craft a fantasy that is so close to Sophia, you know, to make mm. her be sort of the one that got away. Yeah, well, she legit feels like the one that got away mm. in this film. Uh, in the other film, it felt, we were saying, like, well, he was only with her for a couple of hours. Like, why would he be so fixated? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. With this one, I'm like, I get it. Like, I understand. Like, you know, um, this feels like trans, you know, um, transitional moment for him in his life. Um, and mainly because of like one of the things that's interesting about this film as well, which we'll get to, is the external um, pressures that, uh, that they've, they've put on him that was sort of alluded to in Open Your Eyes, mm-hmm. but are you know clear in this film. Um, I think like, that's got... another thing this does better, right? It's, oh, know, much better, much, much better. Yeah, the board. 
Uh, and another thing, seven dwarves linking it again with a you know the main. You know, so he's Snow White. You know, going into sort of a dream. Da, da, da. Anyway, <clears throat> um, so yeah, no, I think Cruz works well in this. There is that thing of him not being as unlikable. But the, the thing is about him not being as unlikable as Cesar is um, when they're unlike when it, the thing with Cesar being unlikable is like I never sort of felt that that night had an impact on Sophia. So mm-hmm. why did it matter? Like it should have been that change. So if you know, so for him to be less than likable, yeah, he's a playboy. He knows he's got like, but he feels like a legit friend to Jason Lee as well. Like they've got interplay, you know, where he says to him, like, you know, he or he's paying him to do this novel and sort of um, you know, they joke about him saying, like, I don't have to be the one to tell you, you know, you're not ugly, sort of joking about it. Sort of like, you know, yeah, you're gonna get someone. It's it's all it feels like friends bantering to an extent. And so I can sort of re- relate to what's going on, where I c- it felt mm. colder in, in the other film. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, I, there are moments where, I mean, Jason Lee sort of reminds me of, you know, I think about him in sort of silly comedies and sort of, you know, he feels like yeah. a character out of a Kevin Smith movie. Yes. Um, and that's sort of distracting. Um, there are moments where I think... I'm not in love with his performance when he's finally has the he's yelling at uh, David Ames mm-hmm. um, after Ames has been released. Um, there are moments where, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of him as an actor in a way that I should not be. Um, yes, having said okay. that. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a I think it's that's part of why this is a warmer film that you can sort of identify with uh, its characters. Even even Cameron Diaz is. um more clearly crazy, right? She's yes. got a crazier edge to her than yeah. the actress did in uh, Obre Los Ojos. Well, she, she's another, let me, you know, I agree what you're saying about Jason Lee. Like, he, he is playing, you know, uh, Brody from Mallrats mm. to, to almost, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, he's playing that mm. character. So I'm like, yeah, I get why you were in this role. You're the best friend. Like, if this was a rom-com, like, you know, yes, you're the best friend character. You're the quirky best friend character. Um, and so, it, you know, he sort of falls into trouble. But he does. He feels almost... There are moments when it's... Again, this is where I feel the film has, like, two halves. And it does, because there's, there's a literal splice in it. But, like, when it's all the fun and sort of, like... Uh, the bantering at the beginning, even the party when he meets Sophia and Jason Lee comes in and he's being drunk and he's a bit sort of like put out by it all. I'm okay with all that because it feels very much there's a rom commy edge to it of that tone. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. still fun. It's still playing around with that. And so you know, this film could go in a very different direction. Like this could have gone sort of four weddings and a funeral, or sort of like you know the holiday or one mm-hmm. of those films. Um. And so, you know, I'm fine with that character. It's like you say, it's when it becomes dramatic towards the end, like say mm. when it's facing up to David Ames, and also when they're at the disco, that it feels a little bit where I'm like, oh yeah, you're not ready for this kind of dramatic acting. Like it's, it feels like an actor acting. Um, and so I, I agree. I with very that. much agree. Yeah. Cameron Diaz scares me a little bit in this film. Like, yeah, like, you know, we said it in the other film about, like, you know, and I, I, I hate the phrase to a little bit, but like, bitches be crazy is sort of like, you know, what this little film says. Like, she she plays that sort of manicness so well that 
I'm almost like, I wish you'd had more villain roles at some point. <laughs> like, you would have been amazing as a as a really good baddie. Um, yeah, but you also again, like, yet again, when she's giving that talk to 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 David Ames in the car, mm. like David, what where you know what is happiness to you? Like she is proper. Like she yeah, she's stalking, and she's obviously got some, you know, let's say psychological hangups. But like she is broken hearted, mm. and so it doesn't just feel like oh, she's she's evil or crazy. Like yeah, she's playing it more manic, but like it's coming from a place of like frustration and rage and broken heartedness that I think like comes across much clearer in this film than the other film. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that very much, and I think that it, that's a, it's another minor change, but as she's having that conversation in the car about sort of what is happiness to you as she's about to attempt a murder suicide, mm. um, she gets him. He's sort of saying anything to get her to stop. And she said, and he says, I love you. And it's at that point that she accelerates. So yeah. there, there is this sort of, you know, in the, in the Spanish version, it's just, she's the crazy girl who yeah. you know, is going to do this. Here, it's almost as if he's played some part by, you know, everything he's doing to get her to stop is actually uh, encouraging her. And mm. she wants to die with that feeling of um, being with him and hearing those those words, hearing I love you. Um, and so I, I, that is it's a very minor change, but I thought that was very effective and, and further kind of you can see why he would feel guilty. Like I, I, you know, she, what she wants to hear is I love you. Mm -hmm. It's hard to not sympathize with that. Uh, and at the same time, you can understand why he would feel guilty, not only because of that, but because him saying that was the final trigger to press that accelerator. Yeah. And I like that because I mean, you, know, you can read it a, a couple of ways, but it felt like him saying that, and she reads it as in desperation. Like it's not sincere. Like he, she knows it's not him saying, "Yeah, yeah, no, I, I legit love you, whatever." Because he, he gets into the car and he is talking to her like a buddy, you know. Like, but he's like, "Yeah, no, I didn't do anything last night." But you know, got uh, there was a single kiss and sort of like he's laughing it off. Like he, he legit sees them as friends. Mm -hmm. And she's the one that's going like, "No, like you made you know us sleeping together that four times." you know crossed crossed some sort of emotional boundary um and so what you know yeah, was a him little saying, crazy <laughs> yeah but that, that yeah. moment of him saying oh well i love you and being saying it desperately like he's almost like say it triggers her to be like oh you are so you are so pissing me off right now <laughs> like you know i love you and I, everything but like you are enraging me by just saying what you think i want to hear um maybe it's, it's like I mean, it felt to me like he was making the situation worse, like you know, by saying. Yeah. That. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do think that her sort of, you know, the four times thing is, you know, a motif that comes back as he's tying mm -hmm. her up. And, and, you know, that doesn't work as well for me. I did think that she she seems very much uh, like fatal attraction in the car where this mm -hmm. whole, like your body makes a promise, uh, even if you don't. I mean, that is so close to sort of like i will not be ignored <laughs> yeah and yeah it, it is you know it, it strikes me as so very fatal attraction 
and and almost over the top, you know. Mm. So I I'm I don't like that, but at the same time, I do like the dynamic of you know, and we've all known situations like this where you know, this is a cliche, but where the guy absolutely believes, you know, we're friends who with benefits mm-hmm. and you know, the the girl develops feelings and you know, Maybe it doesn't say your body makes a promise, but like uses this as, you know, I think that's changed with the generations. I think that young people today, if anything, I know more 20 year old men who are like, can we not have a relationship? And the the women are like, no, uh, you know, getting the feels is the end. I I I do think this has changed, but uh, but I do like that dynamic. I think it's interesting, at least. Well, it fleshes out the whole first part of the film, like that whole first act leading up to the crash. Um, it feels so much more fleshed out, like so much more consequential than than it does in the other film. Like, you know, everything. And it, it says later on in the film, like this thing around consequences, like, you know, they say like oh, there are consequences. Yeah, everything you everything that happened had consequences like you know it was you you can't just do these things um and it feels more like that uh you know and it also feels a bit more like well this we'll talk about the seven dwarves and those scenarios it feels a little bit more as well like that david ames is on a knife edge mm. you know like he, he enjoys being there but like he has this 51 percent share in the company and then the rest is shared between these seven board members but they're trying to sort of like out him um, and there's this whole thing. Um, and they, again, they are played up a little bit to be caricatures, you know, which is part and parcel of it. But it feels like there's a legit fight there. Like he wants this to be successful. Like he enjoys the company. Like he, when he walks in, like he knows the people that work for him. He, you know, he, mm-hmm. he seems to have this thing, yet it's still a bit of a game for him. And that's something obviously that changes later. Well, I think that just like, the depiction of sort of Americana and and sort of where his fantasy got some of these ideas from that I think improves this dramatically. It's amazing how much a little gesturing toward that corporate empire Mm. and flashbacks toward him as a son. Seeing the father's face, we don't ever see the father's face in the Spanish one. Here we know something about their relationship and we see that board. It's not just a sort of, you know, fantasy in the background that you you could, if you want, things. Here, they're, they're much more fleshed out. They're a part yes. of the movie. Um, they're not really ultimately any more important, but you actually have a sense of his childhood. You have a sense of what his job is like. Uh, you have a sense that, yeah, you know, whether you want to say knife edge or, you know, um, you know, that his... His job does involve stress and competition and, and you know, it, it's not succession, but it's, you know, no. got those kinds of elements to it. Yeah. And you say about the father, one of the things that's like you say, you don't see the father's face in the, in the original. There's a painting, there's a wall size mural painting of his father's face in his apartment. Like he is literally being watched by his father, like all the time. And also, like, I love the fact that they make a reference to his father's biography like his father was some magazine mogul you know in those sort of decades early decades and he sort of there's a single line referencing david what you know when uh, when when david was a child he was delightful 
and that's it. Mm. And so there's this, there is this sense again talking about consequences of like, well those those actions of that father figure have these consequences. They sort of like you know mm. they grew and nurtured this this person to be this thing. So like you know this idea of like yes it was David's choice to get in that car. And yes, it was David's choice to choose, to treat you know Giuliani that way. But all that goes back. You can go, okay, well that comes from the way he was, he was raised, mm. like the childhood he had, and that goes back to this and that. So like, you know, we are all we are all um, a, a succession mm. of stories that inform our, our you know our lives. And I like that that's dropped in as well. That it's not just he's a dick. It's like, oh no, look, this is the world he's been raised in. Yeah, I you know, these are a number of things that I think are subtle changes that make this a better film for me. Mm. Um, you know, that line about consequences, you know, that's implicit in the first one, but it's much more explicit here without, you know, somebody putting a thumb on the scale and saying, aha, here is yeah. the moral of the film. It, it's done subtly, but but done well. You were talking about his treatment of, of Julie. Um, well, he doesn't know that she isn't okay being fuck buddies, right? Um, mm -hmm. So his treatment is different. In the first one, he clearly knows she's crazy, and she's sort of, it's the sort of like back to the future. What? You chicken moment that she gets him to get into the car, right? What are you yeah. scared of? Here, you can, it's a lot easier to understand why he would get into the car with this person who he does not understand is as, you know, uh, not just, uh, uh, you know, crazy but as as seriously into him as as uh he is and then you know the stuff with the childhood with this 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 web of circumstance that we're we're all in mm -hmm. um that little things and this sense of neglect that he was neglected as a child that he wasn't really important um another thing i wanted to mention along that line is it seems to me that in, in importing this into america some of the inspiration for the David Ames character is JFK Jr. Um, and this sort of like, I'm handsome. I've inherited this, yeah. this, if not an empire, but this name, JFK Jr., you know, head of a magazine empire with George and whatnot. Um, you know, and it's, it's different, but the sense of like the absent father, this legacy I can't live up to. And that is something that is, is again, part of that American Americana, that American story that we, can all sort of identify a little with Tom Cruise, even if it's not our experience that we were raised with this level of success well, and opportunity. Th this thing of this thing of second generation millionaires or billionaires has become has come into the fore, hasn't it? Really, like it's 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 probably less of a thing. This, this was probably a rarity, I would say, but has become more for you know. And it's, I don't like to. to it doesn't need to come up on everything, but it, it, Donald Trump is another one. You know, mm -hmm. how often did we read in the papers during his presidency that, like, yeah, he acts like this because he was constantly trying to impress his father, and his the way to impress him was to be this bully, to be this character, and that's what he has become because of this sort of childhood, this household that he grew up in, and, um, and an absent and distant father. But, but yeah. don't don't say these things because I want to like David Ames. I mean, no, but, I, I identify but, with this movie yeah, more than yeah. But you know, the, yeah. But then there's a level of charisma and the fact that like he wants to change. That's you know, Donald Trump's a very different character. Um, well, and um, his character is motivated. He might be motivated by drinks and girls, but he 
does have some sort of caring about love, right? I mean, oh yeah, does. and and the other thing is, this is the cusp of you. You mentioned earlier how, um, you know, it seems so naive to, today to think that running three magazines would be supply wealth. But this is right at that cusp of the transition into the internet, where the mm. internet is clearly around, and it's mentioned in this film. Mm. They they talk about you know people will read again is this sort of mantra of those magazines. Well, we know that didn't come true, right? Yes. You know, people you know they read, and what they read is Wikipedia and you know uh, clickbait headlines, right? Um, but this was an era where that did seem like it might be possible. There might mm -hmm. be some sort of Hail Mary pass. And, you know, and, and, and I, again, unlike Trump, right, where real estate and, and just tearing down buildings and, you know, it, those deals were not to create, you know, anything beautiful. I mean, there, there is something, um, there is something noble about this empire that, while subtle, you know, uh, it, it's something we can care about David Ames for. Yeah, and it, it's, yeah, it, he is less corrupted by, you know, it's not like they're trying to say this is a corrupt empire, though. It's not burning down forests with that. Like it's, it's related to it. Um, and so that makes him just a much more likable character, um, which helps. Um, However, the, the, let's talk about sort of like Sophia then. Let's talk about Penelope Cruz. Like her her interplay and her her being in this film compared to Open Your Eyes. Um, she's still sort of, you know, clearly very good in this film. I think she has a great presence. I think she has. It's it's interesting that I said like she's the one that shines in, in Open Your Eyes. And in this, it's clear that there's a Hollywoodization because like she steps into this and it's like, you you were a sort of a big fish in a little pond. This is I don't be patronizing about European cinema. Like you were clearly like you know the big fish in the little pond. You've just stepped into a much bigger pond, and you are now on par rather than exceeding these people on screen. But even to be sort of like at this point to be sort of like you know working in comparison to like Cameron Diaz, who was the it girl at the time, and and Tom Cruise. That's a fantastic step up for mm. your sort of like, you know, Hollywood debut. Um, yeah, and she seems to me to be a little more distant in this. Um, I think she's more effective in the Spanish version. There are more mm. close ups in the Spanish version where she's being charming. And I think she's stunningly beautiful and she's stunningly charming. And I understand why anyone would fall for her. And this, she seems more like, and, and this might be, you know, there's always this sort of like, don't out upstage Tom Cruise. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and in fact, when, when he and uh, she and Jason Lee are in the streets together, there are a couple of times where I thought, oh, he's not wearing his, you know, his um, risers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's very short. But um, so, you know, there is this sort of clash of, um potentially ego, potentially attention there. I, I think she seems a little more, a little more distant than she seems. She's it's still is a very good performance. And I still mm -hmm. think she's, she's charming, but less so. And she seems more like the quirky Spanish girl rather than, you know, this like absolutely 
engaging woman who, you know, you just look into her eyes and and think, who the hell am I? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because this goes back again to these rom-com tropes. And this is what has kept coming into my head. When they go into his, into her apartment, like again, this film could have gone in such a different direction um, from that from that one night. It's, it feels so, it feels such a bunch of cliches in, in certain places, and that's exactly who she is. Like, you see this rich, um, you know, influential magazine owner, and he's got all these like you know, very sort of like. Um, manicured people around him at this party you know cameron diaz is sort of like appearing naked to him in his bedroom and this other thing it's like he's got all this stuff and then she's there and she is beautiful and she's clearly got she's got she's very charismatic and all this other stuff but she doesn't shine in the same way mm, mm-hmm. but she is quirky like they give her this thing of like she's got a coat that's too big you know because she's the girl with the coat that's too big and it feels like that sort of like it, it rang bells with other rom commy moments where like, oh, she's the you know it's the crazy or the quirky one sort of like the Zoe Deschanel of mm-hmm. the whole situation. That's how she has to be identified in this film to be separate, to be apart, and she's not just an actress. Um, she's an all round artist. Like she's come to New York to be a dancer and an actress and a, an artist and all this other stuff. Like it's something extra. And so she's a very bohemian, like to be for, to, to her to be bohemian more in this is sort of like, that's the, the exotic, mm. it's the exotic, isn't it? The quirky and the exotic, that's the attraction. Unfortunately, it feels very played out watching this in 2021. Yeah, that's true. I mean, although like the comparison to Zoe Deschanel is, is apt. She, when I say she's quirky, I, I mean, Zoe Deschanel, you know, I mean, if she played this part, you would just think, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what is the attraction here? I, you know, I get it. Everything was green, quirky, mm. alternative chick, you know. Um, I don't feel like that's really that button isn't being pressed over and over and over here. Mm. Um, yeah, she's Penelope Cruz's character, Sophia, is quirky here, but. I think the idea is that she's also real, you know, mm. her, you know, in contrast to the um, to the privilege of David Ames, her apartment is messy and she's and you see that she's got to have two jobs. And she says, you know, I work round the clock to pay for this apartment. Um, and yeah, she's quirky. She says, you know, I'll see you in the next life when we're cats. Um, I hate that line, we, by the way. I really, I. I like it, but it is that kind of like quirky DM copyright, you know? Yeah. I see what you're saying. Because one of the things is when they go to the apartment and I love the scene when he does go to her apartment and it's, it's that thing where the quirkiness works for me because it's done well in both films, but you see the photos of her life. You know, you see this thing of her with other people or her dancing or acting or performing or, or on the beach with her dog, all these different things. And he has a line where he says, I love your life. And she says, oh, it's not for sale. And it's it sort of, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice little moment, but it says so much about him and her. And you see this thing about it being real. He's legit. Like, there's a moment of him saying, like, I, legit, I wish I had your life. Like, your life mm. looks really good. And, you know, she's got, you know, jokes, it's not for sale. Like, you know, that, it's that quirkiness again, but it's a nice moment. And it's sort of, 
to me, that's that that my little little interaction over the fridge door mm. is the moment where I'm like, that's the click. That's the real click for me between them. And it means a lot. And it feels legit. And that's where I think you're right. He's attractive. Not so much she's beautiful and she's charismatic, but it's that thing of her being real. Like she's mm. got this life, this warmth. And she says, and I think he has a, like a narration moment, but he um she actually says about coming to New York, and she says, Well, shouldn't you make it if you're a good person with good intentions, willing to work hard? And there's like and she's and you know, he, then she says, like, you think I'm naive? And he's like, No. And that's the moment he falls in love with her because, you know, mm. it's, it's clear on the screen. And again, it shows in Cruz's performance and sort of like that thing of like, you, I, I fall in love with her a little bit because you're like, man, you are just sort of like, you you are that character, like, you know, that, that dream girl, that sort of thing. I can see why he, he is attracted to you. But there's this, there's this, all this, this other thing of like, you know, however, don't forget, like, she's still crazy. She's still a little quirky. And then when she says yeah. that cat's line, that's when I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that moment, that interaction in the apartment is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, I, I agree with you. If we're going to draw the line between being real versus being quirky, right? Mm. I mean, this is a false dichotomy, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, the realness seems to work for me better. And that is yes. the... It is more understandable why somebody like David Ames would identify, would fall in love with her. And... It, it, I mean, your example is not just of somebody being real, but somebody being still innocent, mm. um, you know, and unspoiled by not just New York, but, you know, the world. high stress corporate yeah. world that he comes from. Mm. And we do see this all the time, right? That, uh, yes, for as many, um, you know, old money and, and, and rich people get with other rich people, you know, sometimes you see this where, you know, when somebody falls out of that or or departs from that stereotype, it's often somebody who, you know, just is not intimidated by them and is not going to be the yes men that they have surrounding mm. them. And it's going to say, you know, yeah, you know, you're a little fool of yourself here. Uh, um, and just provide that sort of reality that um, isn't intimidated by them the way everybody else in his life, even his friendship. I mean, he's fought that friend. Um, but you know, that friend, there are these lines where that friend says, you know, you owe everybody, you own everybody here. Um, and whether that's an exaggeration or not, I think that level works better than the quirkiness to that point. I think that as they get together in his fantasy after the splice, there are moments where I think, okay, I mean, she's quirky, she's wonderful, but what is their relationship like? You know, like when the quirky, when the charm of the quirkiness goes away. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think so there's there's the quirky as like a fetish. Right. And then there's the quirky as um, the charm of somebody saying something surprising. Right. Which all of us find charming to one degree mm. or another, especially as we're used to dealing with. Hi, how are you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> all the, the tedium of nonsense that we call conversation. Um, and then somebody says, you know, some crazy shit. And, you know, you're like, oh, that's interesting. That I get, but I, I, it's, I find it hard to fully imagine their relationship um, and that it would carry forward and, and stay so much in love. Yeah, but that's not a problem because it's his fantasy. Yeah. 
which we obviously learn. And I think that's the thing. In the fantasy, you don't have to worry about the mun- the mundane. That never happens because you're always in the honeymoon period. That's the fantasy. And that seems to be what he's obviously aiming for, that this idea of this perpetual honeymoon period. Um, and I, I you know, eventually at the end when you hear about I, there's a moment again at the end when that you see the real world, when you see what really happened. You know the sort of post, uh, the 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 real mm. version of post splice, it's narrated by the uh, LE person. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And we'll get to the moment because that sort of gives another one of those moments of like you know real um, that I, I sort of feel sort of like you know really sort of touched me actually, um, and. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, I it's sort of like, you know, yes, I'm married and I'm very happily married, but like, you know, that thing of sort of like at your funeral, sort of like, you know, some mysterious woman at the back of the sort of room crying and I was like, who the fuck is that? That sort of like, you know, that's always a sort of an interesting one. Um, uh, but th- that's the sort of thing. But anyway, besides that, that thing of like, you know, why all he feels in, why he feels along with the why he sort of that next morning when he walks out and he's got the drawing and this sort of like you know I can see why he's elated she's elated like it feels much more like this has been a sort of like a sparks like you know this is big bang stuff um however in contrast to that after the accident and sort of like the semi sort of um facial reconstruction and he finally gets the courage up to go see her again and invites her to go for a drink when in in in, in open your eyes it happens in the park doesn't it when it's raining and, and hmm. it feels as we said like he is um guilting her or sort of like you know into coming along because he's, he's not a great guy he's, he feels like a bad guy like he he is looking for something to cling on to from that former life um with this it feels sweeter mm-hmm. you know like it feels like a legit sweet moment again so when she asks the best friend to come along it confuses me because i'm like that, mm-hmm. that did not play out in that scene that scene did not feel like her being uncomfortable with this version of David, like he never comes across as manic or creepy or obsessive, he comes across as relatively, like you say. And maybe this is Cruz not wanting to go there, but that scene never comes across like her saying that like, I need a chaperone because this could go wrong, like it did in Open Your Eyes. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and it, it might also be Crow wanting to appeal to a general audience, and mm. you know, Americans don't like unlikable um, yeah. protagonists. I agree with you completely. And I think that that scene, one scene that is a lot better in the Spanish version is where he is trying to uh, repeat their sort of narrative, their dialogue at the uh, party where they sort of had their first chemistry. And it comes off as so uncomfortable and creepy in the Spanish version. And here it comes off as like not working for the most part, but still kind of charming. And she participates much more in this version. Like she says certain lines and then Mm. stops participating. And she seems much more diffident in this than really creeped out. Yeah, I think the whole disco scene doesn't work. Mm. I think the whole scene doesn't work. You know, I understand why he chooses his mask. Uh, but then his friend is a complete dick to him about it. 
like you know he's like take off the mask he's like i can't i can't it's like you know like he knows him enough and he's like no no i can't it's an antiseptic thing at that point you'd be like all right you're clearly uncomfortable i'll let it slide and then sort of even sophia like after he sort of gets uncomfortable at everything She's still talking to all these other blokes. Like she's talking to a load of other guys. At one point, he oh. comes into, he interrupts her, and she's talking to a completely random guy. Yeah. And in my head, I'm thinking, not so like, no, not like, oh, you cow, but like, you know, David's there, and he's asked you to there, and he's cleaning a bad space. Like you are just pouring petrol onto this situation. Like you know, it feels this whole situation feels unfocused. This whole scene felt really unfocused again to get to this one point that just doesn't work. And I do think the open your eyes version is, is much, much better. I agree. And I, and I do think that Cesar in the open your eyes version is, seems much more, not just drunk, but messed up. Yeah. There's much more sort of uh, shots. Of, I mean, he vomits in the bathroom. Mm. There are more scenes of him, more shots of him at the bar seeming messed up um yeah i it did strike me as strange that um uh that the penelope cruz character is not that she's talking to a new set of people where it's like where's the friend you should be talking to the friend but i didn't have the same sort of like you know you cal what about him moment um for me it was more like he's been gone for like he just went off i mean and I and I've been, you know, in that situation, and I've gone mm-hmm. off. I've been the one who went off, and I've been the one who was like, you know, screw them. You know, they they went off. We can't find that person anymore, or we see him at the bar. They're okay. In that case, then, if that's the thing, like, if it is a screw, if that's a well, you went off. Like, have that confrontation. Have her fight yeah. back. Like, well, you you literally just walked off and got shit faced at the bar. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You left me in this place. Like have she, but she seems so unconfrontational at this point. Like you know, submissive yeah. even that I'm just like, it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel awkward. It it just feels a bit like, uh, you know, all right, well I've, I've got to get through this. It doesn't feel like where where in in open your eyes. <clears throat> there's a reason that this night is the splice. You know, there's a reason you've had this two nights. One when he first met uh, Sophia, and then the second time he goes out with Sophia, and they're both transitioning in different ways. You know, and and I think the first one's like meant to be this like you know big bang moment of falling in love, and the second one's meant to be this crashing to earth of how it's all completely tits up. And you know, I feel that the first, the first one doesn't really work in Open Your Eyes, but the second one works better. And then obviously, like, you know, the in in Vanilla Sky, the first one works better, and the second one doesn't work. <laughs> Have the well, two, but you mentioned about the splice. I mean, I agree with you that the, you know, the scene in the bar works better in the in the Spanish mm-hmm. version. Having said that, I don't know uh, what what this implies for choosing this as your splice moment, right? Because either way, it's weird, right? Like I'm going to begin my memories after my really horrible experience. Right? No, I I get it. I get it completely. <laughs> I completely maybe this says something about no it completely says something about me you know my love of like you know plot cliches like I'm all about the you know to me if I was gonna splice my memory if I wanted to have that fantasy I love a good redemption arc it's coming back from your lowest point fighting back it's rocky it's you know it's all these things 
if that's the fantasy to be saved by your dream girl to have that to have to have the fact that your shittest night is then eradicated by an act of kindness is is important because it allows you to stand up and sort of like you know if he hadn't because you couldn't i don't think you could splice earlier because it wouldn't make sense because you've had you know you he's had the accident so why are why choose this moment for the splice right i mean in vanilla Mm. sky i would say it makes sense because that's the last time i saw her Mm. and yes i wasn't the creepy weird i mean if if I don't want to splice a memory. Like I, I've done dumb things drunk, right? I've said <laughs> dumb things and, and said the wrong word, and then everybody's horrified, and I'm like, this was one word, you know? Like, I, I don't know how I'm out of line. I don't want to relive that memory. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to, like, start, right? I'm going to erase that from my memory. I think, I think, you know, it's a little weird in the Spanish version to go back to, like, your worst night where the girl that you love and think it's like your salvation, you've built up into your salvation, which is more clear in that one is, is not the case is him building it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you got beat down and rejected and, and shown what a creepy, just S O B you are. That's what I want to preserve. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like that, that's, you need that for the redemption arc. I don't want to relive that. I know. Th- I know. I, I, I'll tell you what, the best friend character in this film tells you why. Because you can't have the sweet without the sour. Yeah, and that's saying, and that's the point, though. And I think, and that, well, all right, from a filmmaking a point of view, between the two, right? Because yeah. you were just saying the, the the Spanish one, he is revealed to be an absolute asshole. In that yes, scene. he is the creepy guy you don't want at a bar. Okay, yeah. and he he's just that guy. Uh, in the American version, he's not that guy. There's still a little chemistry, and the reason why he's choosing that slice is that's the last time I saw her, and she never. I want. I'm gonna be with her in my fantasy, and that's the last time I really had a connection. I really saw the real version of Sophia. Okay, so that that makes sense to me, and it's not the last time. And the last time she spat on my face and said, "You're a piece of shit," you know. <laughs> You know, it's just a, it was a diffident sort of reaction and it didn't go great. But, OK, I can understand that. Yeah, OK, I can see what you're saying. It's, it's, it needs to happen for the film to happen is probably the <laughs> to really get into. It. Because if you think about it, like you say, if you really wanted to splice, you'd splice the bit before you got into the bloody car. Yeah, you know, you'd splice it and then never think about Julie again, and just be like, "Yeah, no, I got, I went home, I went to work, and life was wonderful." Um, that that would sort of be the moment you splice. Um, I mean, I would I would choose the last moment I was alive. I'd be like, "Oh, I magically got well." I I would be like, <laughs> "I want to keep every part of that memory, good and bad. I I, I don't want to erase shit." No, it's interesting because when you do find out what he has erased, that moment, everything that happened after, um, there's actually like you know, it's not as again, it's that thing of in the in the Vanilla Sky version, like he wakes up the next morning, and he wakes up 
almost angry. Like it, they make out that like he's determined. Like he re, you know, he brings on the the lawyer. He takes on the seven dwarfs, those board members, fights them back, retains sort of like complete control of the company, and then they're like, and, and then he withdrew. It's almost like he got his victory and was like, now what? I, I've done it and I'm not sure what to do with myself and there's no one to share it with. And it's sort of like Sophia was always this thing hung over him in the background and he was trying to distract himself with all this, with work, you know, the the, the, the sort of getting up to date and educating himself and the confrontation with everything. And then when it's over, it's, it's still there. Mm. And I kind of like that moment that it's sort of like, yeah, you withdrew again because mm. there was nothing else. And that's when he found um, life extension on the internet. Well, I like that uh, sort of narrative because it's it is um, not just good or bad, right? No. Um, you know, he's got the determination to fight back, but you know, it it also is true that the the narrator, the the tech support guy, says the headaches were still a problem. You know, mm. I mean, he is still messed up, and I think this happens in life where it's like, okay, hey, good job, buddy. You did, you know, good job, buddy. You know, you, you did great, but, you know, yeah, there was that illness or there were mm. these things um, that you, you couldn't control. The thing about withdrawing is, you know, I mean, one of the many ways in which I, I find this film uh, just incredibly painful. Um, and I think more painful in your description of it than than mine. That sort of he withdrew and it's like, right, well, I've got this empire, uh, got my PhD, you know, and I'm still alone and still sad every day. And, and I'm going to take these pills. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I, that's what I find like that moment of like when he reaches that moment, and they show him sort of sat in his apartment and it's massive. Like his apartment is like, you know, fucking stunning. Like it's amazing. And it's just this, this, this used to have been hollow. And I feel there's a real, there is a hollowness to parts of this film. And I do feel for that. Like, again, like it's it's weird to say, you know, as I say, this is the weirdness of this is that, like, you know, I, I love my family and I've got, you know, I wouldn't say a good job. I've got a job. Um, and I've got all these great things that I do, like the podcast, and I've got these other great things. But I can still empathize. There's, there's been times in my life where I have sort of like plowed into things because of some hurt or something you think it'll go away or grief and then you come out of the bit you would sort of throw yourself into and you're like oh no shit i still feel crap like i still i've actually got to face this as well like it's not just going to go away um and that's that's really hard and i feel for him and you know his he finds an alternative and again instead of facing up to this loss and, the, and and what he's done and this emotional sort of like baggage he, he finds another way to 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 get away from it um and, yeah you know, it's so, sad i mean yeah. we, i mean we both identify it's that sort of like well wherever you are you know there you are wherever you go there you are Shit, um, you're quoting you're quoting buckaroo bonsai i know i know <laughs> uh which I don't find the deep line, but it's but it applies in this case. Yeah. It can be. I don't think it's yeah. deep in that film, but no, it's the you know you can't escape yourself, mm. um, and no matter what accomplishments you have, you know there's still the the dark night of the soul where you're sitting there alone, going like, but what do I have really? But what mm. what you know? It's the it's the Alfie moment, 
right? But what do I really have? Yeah, I you know, I think there are many people that can attest to those moments. You sat at four o'clock in the morning, whether it be you haven't slept or you've woken up and you're feeling anxious or stressed or you've got some concerns or grief. And there is that moment you're sat in the dark and you're like, what is the fucking point? Like, what have I got? And it takes a, it can take a lot even for you to go. Yeah, actually. You know, I have got something i've got this i've got that and it can be really hard and for, for different people i'm assuming you know it can be it can be worse for people with different you know with, obviously with depression or anxiety and all this, all this like it can be really difficult and this film really taps into that of like yeah being alone like it's you know um it's interesting. The thing, sorry, the thing I was saying in this film as well is that the, 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 the open your eyes doesn't do as well. It gives us Timothy Spall in the, the, his this sort of like friend lawyer, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, that acts in another part. That's again like almost like his conscience in a, in a weird way of like you know, trying to pull him back up and trying to sort of give him these things. Um, it sort of connects you to the corporate world, but also yeah. gives him another sort of surrogate, another surrogate to talk to another friend character. Yeah, it's and, and you know, you realise that he was there and and um, he. If you notice though, the Timothy Spall character, what's interesting is he's there at the start of the film, mm-hmm. and um, he's not really there in the fantasy. Yes, like he's yes, not. That's true. He's not, he's not really important to uh, no. the Tom Cruise character. And it's not until they get that the, you go through the reality again and they show you what actually happened and they, t- they narrate through what happened that he becomes incredibly important um to those last mm-hmm. months of his life and so again like by splicing there like he cut out all this other stuff it's really interesting to sort of see how that person sort of like you know how people become either very important or less important depending on what part of your life you sort of lean into well i, I wanted to say something about what you were saying about sort of the the dark night of the soul that you know one of the things that had changed in watching the Spanish version in the past versus now is I have less compassion for that rich fuck, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, we now, you know, we live in a different society in which we're mm-hmm. much more conscious of these things. And you and I have gotten older. Um, that affects it too. But we're also more conscious of these things socially. I think... The depiction of Tom Cruise's loneliness and suffering, I think we're supposed to feel in both films that his desire for Penelope Cruz, his desire for love, um, is something we can identify with, or and his despair about his disfigurement. <laughs> but whereas I feel the Spanish one really suffers with time, I, I you know, this movie is of its time, mm. but it does not it has not aged poorly. If anything, I think it, it's aged very well for me. And I think that can, what you're suggesting of sort of the universality of a man sort of despairing and saying, what have I got? Um, and wanting something more is, is one of the ways that we can identify with somebody, even if they're of a different socioeconomic background and, you know, inherited money and all this stuff. Yeah. I, I want to sort of, tap into something that's and this is this is good because this this podcast is going somewhere i didn't know it was going to go this way but we never do there's been a recognition of late 
uh, and I'm seeing it more on things, which I think is fantastic. Uh, it was recently International like Men's Day, um, I believe. Uh, and one of the things that's highlighted at the moment, and, and I see it, is, and, and it's heartbreaking, but it's true, is, you know, I, I, and this is not... Hmm, I'm trying to think how to sort of this. I understand that women have have, have issues, and, and and you know, and you know, we try to understand them, and there's other things. But men have issues, and there's one issue that I think is massively underplayed. And I'm glad it's been re- recognised. Is the suicide rate for men is massively higher than it is for women, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one of the key factors in that is the social acceptance of talking about your feelings and about where you're at. Or reaching out to a friend. Like women have got fantastic social networks for the most part. Like, that's a that's a generalization I'm I'm making because just 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 through my own experience of like women have this ability and it's I'm envious of it to have a friend who they can call up and be like I feel like crap. I I'm feeling really down. I want to talk about it or like whatever. And they'll have a you conversation. You can do that to me, man. I'm here. Oh, you know. We we, 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 we are lucky. We are we are lucky in in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, I know like there are macho guys that I know fucking suffer. And, like, the moment you're like, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Fine. Yeah, it is. You know how it goes. And you're like, all right. Like, they, they mm. can't go there. And it's so it, that, that sort of watching is tapped into that for me of, like, yeah. No, you see about the universality of this. Like, yeah, I can imagine there being <laughs> these moments of guys going, like, yeah, no, you know, life is hard. I've lost the woman I love. It's the one I got away. I don't know how to process mm. this. I'm really not sure who I can talk to. And if you do try and talk to someone, it's going to become banter or like, you know, jokes. Like there's no sort of right. yeah. seriousness to it. And so it felt really important that like this whole situation could have been resolved. Like, yes, I get that the Brandon Lee character, not Brandon Lee, excuse me, Jason Lee character sort of says to him, like, you know, see a therapist. But even that, it should be like, you know, tell me. Like, you know, right. he's like, t- he's trying to send him to a therapist, which is great. But he's also should be saying, like, tell me, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, be um, real with me. I mean, if you're yeah. attracted to Penelope Cruz because she's real, fucking get real, man. Yeah. Um, And so I do feel like, you know, it's tragic when you do see that, you know, and I, I don't want to have this, you know, the cliche of it's lonely at the top, but like, loneliness sort of like the, the, the some of this film seeps with loneliness absolutely sort of you feel it um and and I, and I, and I find that fascinating and I, that's why i do think this film resonates 20 years later um i you know i go to a recovery group and you know i have i have had close relationships with ben uh honest relationships i you know i i tend to be very <laughs> wear my mm. feelings on my sleeve and, and not be a very private person one of the things that I have learned, you know, it, having in-depth emotional conversations with with guys of all ages from their 20s to their 90s um, is this emotional repression to the extent that so many men, uh, especially my generation and older, don't even know what they feel because they've never asked those fucking questions. Mm. And then I think, of course. I feel sorry for their wives. I mean, how the hell are you married to somebody who doesn't even know what he feels and is acting out? And it's crystal clear to you that there's an issue and they're not even conscious of. But I mean, men, we do have to have a, a culture in which men can talk about these things. Um, 
what you've said about loneliness. Um, I I stopped this movie halfway through, um, you know, and and talked to a friend because I was so upset. Um, and I, I made a list of just like the stuff that gets me that I, you know, like, um, looking back on being popular, the life of the party and being mm. old or whatever, um, you know, people making me the center of conversation, you know, of, of their focus when I didn't ask for it. Like, you know, uh, you know, the depression, the disappointment at how a promising life turned out, uh, lingering suspicion that none of this is real. Um, you know, madness, sort of mental illness, abusive relationships. Um, you know, we joked before about like, mm. you know, the crazy girl. Um, you know, I mean, I, it wasn't until recently that I realized like, wait a minute, most of the women I've, you know, half the women I've dated have tried to stab me at some point. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> it's probably not good. Uh, I have face blindness. So, you know, the idea of confusing these, these two women or whatever, uh, I've had facial disfigurement from an accident. I have fear of heights <laughs> that makes nauseous and uh, thoughts of suicide. So there's so and I'm a fucking lonely ass motherfucker. So there, there are so many things here that just resonate with me emotionally and that I identify with. And. Uh, you know, for me, that's that's ultimately why. I find this movie so affecting and so so powerful going back to it. No, I, I agree. And all of that sort of, you know, um, rings true. The, like, you know, where... Where that like, open your eyes suffered is because, like I say, you, you find the character sort of like, you know, not so much unlikable, but like... It was difficult to sympathise, empathise, like because he he was such a dick at times. Like you know, you follow the story, it's fine. But with this film, yeah, like Cruz is human. Like they they're looking to make him a human character. And I think you know that goes to to his performance, but also the direction of Cameron Crowe. Um, but there are moments, like you say, you know, that, that just when he is disfigured. And again, the disfigurement used, the, the you know, the prosthesis they use in this is not as extensive as it is in the, you know, it's something that has to be identified. Like, you know, half of his face is like, you can't get rid of all that cruiseness. We can't lose it all. Um, we're paying him how many millions of dollars? God damn it, we're going to see his face. Yeah, exactly. This is the superhero movie cliche, isn't it? Of like, you know, um, why they, they wear masks for like 30 seconds. Um, but yeah, there is, there is this thing in there are moments in from after disfigurement where they do linger on this fact that whether it be through his own actions or um people's reaction to his disfigurement like he is isolated and they just they did they depict it well but you know this idea of sort of like this flat this apartment he's got this this filled with people at this party but how real is it? Like, you know, like you say, this thing about getting real, being real, authentic, sincere. How real is that party? Like, how many of them um, are, are there? Because they're a bit like, well, the boss has called a party, so we better go or whatever. To, to so Who is there for him in those moments? And I do feel it. And, you know, there are times that I get, I get imposter system. It, 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 you know, I'm not. 
I get anxiety. I, I, I get, you know, at times. But I also suffer from like imposter, sister, uh, imposter syndrome, that idea of, like, I look around frequently in my own work and at other things, like at the podcasters, and, and I've done things, and I'm like, how the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like, you know, um, you know, like there are people like much more qualified to be doing this or clearly better at doing this. Like, how have I ended up here? And you do get that isolation when you're just like, yeah, no, this is all like you say. This is a fraud. Like, I'm a fraud. I'm scared of being found out. Like, someone's going to find out that I shouldn't be doing this and tell me I shouldn't. Um, and so you create almost like an isolation in some experiences where I'm like, this will protect me because then there's no bugger there to tell me I shouldn't be doing this thing. And I feel that with this film, that he creates this sort of, even the choice to do the lucid dream mm. is creating a false reality to protect himself, to live the life he wants to lead. So he can't have others tell him he can't. Because when you watch the reality, that's exactly what happens. He has to fight for things. And he's like, it's hard. And it hurts. And so like, I, I, this whole sort of second half is is way more affecting in this film than it is in the other film not as dark but definitely more affecting well you know i mean i'm a big i'm a big fan of transgressive cinema and 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 it's sometimes this isn't trying to transgressive cinema piece but um the thing that tends to define transgression as a genre is an acute awareness of the distance between people Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about, you know, imposter syndrome and, and crews at that party, um, the phrase that occurred to me is sort of alone in a crowded room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my version of that is much more less, you know, imposter syndrome and more like they don't really care about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's all a fraud on their parts rather than on my yeah. part. And, you know. They like that I'm charming. They like that, you know, I can do this or that, but they don't, you know, really care about me. And at the end of the day, I'm still fucking alone. Um, And all of us feel that for one reason or another. Um, The the difficulty and is this distance between us, between everyone, that we don't know each other's thoughts. uh, We don't know each other's feelings. Um, and we struggle to share our own, even if we do know them. And this ties in very closely, it seems to me, with this theme of love. Mm. And whereas, again, in the Spanish version, it seems like he's just a dick who wants to get <laughs> with, you know, these girls, which, fair enough. Um, here, it seems to resonate with the idea of that we have culturally, and that I think is hard to escape, of love as like that's gonna fix me Mm -hmm. like i'm alone at a party i inherited this i I don't love my job i'm in a room with people who smile to my face and think i'm wonderful and call me citizen dildo behind my back right or you know we can all identify with that not necessarily citizen dildo but our suspicions that either we're a fraud or their feelings are, are fraudulent or whatever um, and we think love will fix this and maybe, you know, Penelope Cruz, you know, like Penelope Cruz and that lawyer friend of his should get together and just say like, okay, here's what you need to do, David. Um, and they could put together a plan 
but the reality is that usually if we're not secure enough in ourselves and we're not really where we need to be, uh, jumping into that relationship with that quirky girl who seems so real isn't going to solve your problems. Mm. And yet it's such a tempting thing, right? Yeah, two things. Because then we'd fucking feel whole when we're alone at night. Two things. (laughs) First, First thing, as nicknames go, Citizen Dildo's not the worst. I think I think I could probably manage to wear that as a badge of honor. That's a different that's a different take on it. You say about this cultural thing about love. And I I, I I've seen this held up as a criticism of, of Disney films in particular, but rom coms are just as guilty of it. This idea that it ends with and they lived happily ever after. You know, uh, Sleeping Beauty is woken up with, by her Prince Charming and they lived happily ever after. Uh, Snow White is saved from the poison by a gent- the kiss and they lived happily ever after. Ariel finds her voice and her and Eric live happily ever after. Blah, 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 blah. blah. And it goes on and on and on. Cinderella, you know, the, she puts on the slipper and that's it. Cinderella is probably a closer example of this, you know, that one night. Mm. And it ends in it, it results in the search. Maybe Eric, you know, maybe the prince didn't find her and he actually went into a fantasy room. I don't know. But this idea of even rom coms, you know, everything from, you know, while you were so I can't think of fucking hell, uh, typical ones, like the four weddings and a funeral, or um, I can't think of any right now. While you were sleeping, I don't really watch rom coms, so I'm not sort of sore. But there's a there's an absolute girth and 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 you know dearth of them out there. They all have that same premise, don't they? That, you know, two people, two star-crossed lovers, you know, will meet and that relationship will have sparks and there'll be troubles, and, but it will always end with, and they lived happily ever after. And this film gets to that point where you, you know, this is what I'm saying, that's why I say this film starts like a rom-com, like it could easily go mm. off in a different direction. And it could end with, and they live happily ever after. And that's what David wants. Because he wants the sort of, like, the, the act, the, the the structure is that moment, that disco moment is the sort of, like, well, I've blown it all. And it should end up with him running through an airport to find her and, and <laughs> do you know what I mean, to win it back. Or holding the boombox, you know. Yeah, exactly. Which was a Cameron Crowe, say anything. That's exactly right. Or to be stood in the rain and say, like, you know, I'm just a boy talking to a girl. Whatever it is. That's the sort of like it's almost like you say about um, uh, David Ames being infused with pop culture and its sort of structure. Even that choice of being sort of coming up from that bottom moment to the, to, to have the story to be saved and to, is so built into our own expectations of personal narrative that it completely makes sense to me as to why he chose that moment and to and to why his fantasy then rolls out into this thing. Um, because he is living, for all intents and purposes, the structure of a rom-com. Like, this film could be that. It's a, it, or a fairy tale. Like, they joke about that as well. The fact there's no, the fact there's not fairy tale motifs within this is actually quite surprising. But I don't know, that's what sort of strikes me. Well, I think what's dangerous is the idea that a relationship is going to fix or save us, right? And, he's, and he suffers from that, right? Yeah. Um, now, relationships should make us better. Yes. 
but they make us better because we're honest and we're able to call each other on stuff. I don't mean you and me romantically, but I mean, <laughs> all kinds of relationships uh, make us better, hopefully, um, because we're, you know, able to do things together. Mm. Um you know, romantic relationships hopefully do make people better. But when they do, it's because people are honest and able to encourage each other in healthful and, and good directions. That's an entirely different thing from like, I'm fucked up and this is the answer, right? Yes. Here's the, um, you know, here's the uh, panacea, right? I feel alone at parties. Uh, you know, this board is on my back. I feel my best friend and I don't even have a close relationship. I mean, yeah. he's only my friend because I'm paying for his novel, um, you know, and I have meaningless sex with people, but this girl is going to fix me. And I think he, he thinks that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the Disney, that's the criticism, right? It, mm. It's not, it's not that, you know, I mean, you're right. We all have these narratives, right? But it, it, this idea, I think, is a dangerous idea. Oh, it is. And it, it's 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 one of those things, I think, as being, you know, um, you said we're being transgressive, I think, you know, or, or being eroded. I think those notions in cinema are being eroded. Like, you know, those films are still there. Those early Disney films or those early like, 90s rom-coms in particular I, I don't think they have aged well in those respects. And I think when people go back and watch them now, I do think people will be like, hang on, <laughs> that just doesn't quite hang up, you know, doesn't add up like it used to, um, which is good. I think people are recognising that. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, you say about relationships, that um, relationships, from and again, like you say, me and you, we're two sort of like, you know, white guys in our 40s. It's sort of like, you know, <laughs> I'm not totally in touch with the sort of like the dating scene for those in their 20s, but from from an outside perspective looking in i definitely see that there's there is more authenticity out there of people actually saying do you know what i'm okay to have friendships i don't need you know a romantic i don't need a, a partner i don't need a man i don't need a woman in my life to define me i can be who i am and have friendships and those are healthy and i think that's great you know um because I, when I was younger, that was the thing. You hit sort of twenty, you know, you hit sort of twenty-one. All of a sudden, it was like right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you've had your teen years of sort of like trying. Now it's serious. Like you're supposed to be dating and doing this and doing that, and uh, that was, you know, that was almost like the expectation. Like parents sort of saying, sort of like, you know, along with get out of our house, like you know, grow up and get out. <laughs> was this thing of like. You know, so, so you really felt that at like 21, like get married uh, and not, have not, a house, like yeah, no, honestly, like I, I had a weird thing when I was a kid. Uh, I had many weird things when I was a kid, but this is just one of them. But no, in my head, when, when and again, I think this was net drilled into me for a period. Is like you went to school, and you know, in in England, you sort of like you you work up to your GCSEs, which is when you're 16, get good grades. Beyond that, you get your A-levels, because then your A-levels get good grades, because that gets you into university. Go to university, get good grades. You know, it was like, because university then leads you into a job. There was no sort of, like, connective tissue between these things in my head of, like, I, you know, I need these GCSEs to do these A-levels, to do this degree, to do this job. Like, I didn't have a linear uh, trajectory towards a specific job. It was just, a, I've got to hit these milestones 
um, to get to this end goal. That's probably why I became a project manager because I had like <laughs> I didn't really care about the rest. I was just hit the dates. Um, but I went through it, and that's what's happened. It was like okay, I've done well in these. I've done well in these. And I get through university, and then get out of university, and it was like right. So that's the settling down shit to do now. I've to, you know like I've got to get a job, and I've got to you know I'm supposed to be meeting people and going on dates and like. At what point do I sort of... And then my closest friend at the time, um, uh, Gaz, he, he he got married when he was 20... Well, he had a kid well, in his early 20s, 22, 23. And so that's what people would do. But there were people around me getting married. And I'm like, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still at home playing computer games and I'm working in a call centre. This ain't right. Like I was the slacker. Um and so it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a wall for me. I hit a wall where I was like, I don't know what, this, this road's not clear anymore. Like, where's this next milestone that the world is setting out for me? Um, and it wasn't really until I started doing the wrestling. This is a complete side note, it's a bit yeah. of transgression, but um, it wasn't until I sort of started doing the wrestling when I came out of, of uh, university, and I met other people like in their like twenties and thirties and older that were like, "Yeah, we're all weird. Like, you know, we wear lycra and hurt each other for fun. And <laughs> some of us are married, and some of us are not, and some of us are doing this, and some of us, are, you know, in these relationships or like, you know, whatever." And you're like, right. So there isn't one single road. Mm. Like, there's lots of roads. It's like a spaghetti junction of shit going on. And it wasn't, yeah, it took me, it took me a while in my twenties to be like, oh, okay, like <laughs> this isn't a straight road. Uh, and I don't know who the hell I am because I've not decided on this. Like I was supposed to grow up. I kept being told like, you know, almost the, the cliche of like, you know, now you're a man, childish things get put away, you know, mm. don't play with those. And there was a period when I really struggled with that in my early twenties when I was like, okay, right. Well, okay. Well, all comics and, and, um yeah that toys. sort of thing goes yeah toys goes away that's gone i'm you know i'm growing up now mm. uh maybe i'll keep on with the computer games a little bit just to sort of because i've got some of the thing else to do but yeah it wasn't until a lot later that i was just like well not a, lot, a few years later i was like hang on <laughs> who am i doing this for yeah, it, like, you, you sound very much like the, the sort of like fight club thing right of like dad okay, said yeah do this right go to school well what now get married well you know and then it's yeah. kind of like well what what's it all about you know but I, i've done the schema and there are still people who do this right i mm. mean yeah. I, I do want to point out we wear lycra and hurt each other for fun is one of the best titles i've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah it might be the it might be the title of my my, my biography what lycra and hurt people for fun um the Scott Weatherly story. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I came up in a sort of like, you know, academic environment and sort of like post-divorce culture in which, you know, my version of this was just like, you know, look, work really hard. I thought I was going to be a successful, famous writer. Mm. Um, you know, I was the golden boy. And, and I decided very early on I was not going to compromise. So for me, it was like, I am not getting married unless it's the one, right? And nobody is the one, right? I mean, 
mm. you know, people are are fine. But I was always like, I'm not going to compromise. I'm a perfectionist. And so I just went to college endlessly and was like, OK, so how do I get from here to a job? Well, you know, wh where are these publishers going to find me? How does, mm. you know, like I've written 200,000 pages by this point. You know, how do I make the connection from A to B? Nobody ever told me that. And it was just like you were that was just going to happen. You know, you'd meet somebody at college, you know, you'd both a you yeah. know, romantic partner or, you know, a contact. And I had lots of romantic partners. I had lots of people who who had contacts. Nobody ever came through. <laughs> Nothing ever happened. And, you know, I wound up just kind of going like, OK, I'm in this giant pit between point A and B and I'm still in there. You know, that's what my life turned out to be, um, which was very depressing to put it that way, <laughs> but I've done wonderful. I've made a life of it. Um, but it's interesting. Both of us sort of in different way, like you had more of the traditional narrative. I had more of the sort of, you know, post-divorce of stick to your guns, mm. you know, uh, version of it. But it ultimately failed both of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think this is more common than, than, than not. And, you know, I think there's and I don't know. I could again couldn't speak for the current generation, but I know of our generation, um, you know, sort of like early millennials, that sort of like, you know, late times, early 80s um, that definitely went through it. I have had friends and I have had colleagues that like I, I know at least three people that are under 40 and have been divorced, like, you know, within within 10 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, what, you know, well, we got married because we were, you know, it was it was almost like they just sort of like they fell into it almost, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like. And then after 10 years, they're like, yeah, I don't like you. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've never understood and, this. I yeah. know this happens, but I, coming from where I come from, I'm always I'm always I look at half the couples I see and I think, why? How the fuck did you think you were going to get married? Like, what was the connection? Well, they were just there. We wanted to, you know, it's like, it's an we were just there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I honestly I'm like, think. they're, they're going to be perfect. You know, yeah. I'm happy every day for two years yeah. before I even think about a wedding. That's it. Checklist one. Right. You're doing well. You're doing well so far. One. There you go. What's yeah. number one? You turned up. Right. Well, we can deal with that. Right. Um, no. I, 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 I honestly think there was that there is there's this there was an expectation like you came out of university or college or whatever and you hit an age and like and this may be a British thing I don't know this was in the nineties like early two thousands around this time like I turned eighteen in in uh, ninety nine like this was it this was sort of that expectation like you hit twenty one. And it was a big party at 21. Like, you know, you've turned 21. Woo. We have, I could already vote for two years. I, I, I can vote at eight. I could drink at 18. I've never understood, like, in America, like, you guys have got, you know, the, the drinking age is 21. Barely, obviously, recognized, but still. But in this country, like, there's no, um, there's no legislative, legislative, you know, legal thing that prevents you from doing anything under the you know over the age of 18 like it's, it's 18 is the is the age yeah you, know, you can't i think 25 you can't rent a car over a certain side until you're over 25 or you, well, after you gotta have a license but you know nothing happens at 21 yet 21 still still seems to be like a milestone birthday and it's this thing of like you've finally reached proper adulthood 
fuck off into the world and, and, and do your family. You know, that's the sort of the thing. And I do, I did feel those pressures. Um, and I, you know, I'm now for, I'm turning 40 in a, in a couple of weeks. And I do think, yeah, no, there was time wasted when I was like, I could have so been like writing or doing like learning journalism or, you know, doing something like learning to use filming equipment or, you know, reading more or just doing something instead of dithering and well you say dithering but i mean the grass is always greener right i took the opposite path and you know i mean i you know i i'm borderline i mean i'm I'm totally capable of compromise but i mean (laughs) i i'm not very good at settling um you know and and this has been uh, certainly a problem in relationships. I think about past relationships all the time. They haunt me, but it's I know that it's the good things that haunt me. Mm. It's not, you know, those those were also relationships where I had friends begging me to break up with them <laughs> because I did nothing but complain about how miserable I was. And all I remember now are the good things. Yeah. What's wrong with me? <laughs> but I mean, I went through those same years deciding screw it i'm gonna write i'm gonna you know get these useless degrees you know Mm -hmm. um i went the opposite way and now i see people who are happily married and they've got two kids and i think what have i got you know i i'm you know i'm alfie you know um so i mean the tom cruise character you know he he longs for the realism the, the being real of being <laughs> poor in New York, you know, like if you're poor in New York, you're like, I want to be this rich mogul guy. Yeah, it's you make a very, very good point. I mean, you know, that the, the grass is always greener. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't give up what I have now, you know, for anything. But I do look back at my 20s and think like, you know, yeah, like, you know, missed opportunities. I, I often think about my degree as well. Like I did history. It was great could have been focused on something i actually wanted to do rather but like that's my point um to pull this right back to the film though because i I think this has been a a fantastic sort of like you know diversion and we are sort of coming up on time there is one final part of this film i want to sort of ask about or the the comparison between this and, and open your eyes and that's the mystery element um in open your eyes it's sort of like it's very early on you meet cesar in his mask in a prison cell and it's very dark and it's very noir and it's sort of like it's a big part of like what is going on and you meet the psychologist very early and, and sort of it's much it's a much lesser part of vanilla sky um and it's almost not so much an afterthought but it's clearly not a bigger part of what cameron crowe is trying to present and it's almost like okay well i need that to get to the end result but like i'm less i'm less interested in it than the other stuff which that's a fair assessment yeah no, I think that's a very good point. I think that watching Open Your Eyes, uh, I sort of feel like there are a bunch of balls in the air. There's a mm. bunch of mysteries, and there's we don't know how they're going to what's going on. You know, who has he killed, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff's there in this, but it it's, doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like a mystery. Mm. Uh, it feels. The real mystery is sort of like what's going on and this grounds it. And I think the end result of that is to ground it in character and ground it in that love yeah. story and ground it in these emotions. No, I agree. And, and so I think they have different aims. Um, I think the, 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 the opium rise is definitely trying to be a mystery thriller. Like it's trying to throw you that, that I say, throw the ball up in the air, the mystery. And I say like, you know, 
the mystery is almost like a, um, a um, you know, it's, it's just needed to get to the end result. Like it's, it's literally there was a plot device, and, and it feels less like a rolling thread, um, which is an interesting. Choice. But it, do, it doesn't seem to it doesn't it doesn't detract from. It. I thought it would, and as I watched it, I was like. Is this missing this this mystery element? Does does it does it need to be there? And I'm like, it's sort of there, but it it doesn't need to be as dark or as as, as um you know maybe I thought it needed to be. Well, who have you killed is a great you know mm. thing to to go for as a writer. I mean, as a drama, um, you know, how do you not go there? And yet, I think it's part of the you know the genius of this film that it subverts that it tamps that down mm. having said that what's weird is the the murder scene is i think much more effective here mm -hmm. um you know you you have this whole thing with the mole and i think it's a little hoaxy it's a little played up in the earlier dialogue as as tom cruise says i could live as that small forget cats i could come back as your mole the mole on your breast right and then at the end as he's he's snuffed her with a pillow in the original you don't know who he's killed yeah uh, i mean obviously he's killed sophia and and they're they're changing bodies but it's sophia and he's mm. killed sophia so it doesn't really matter in this one you never see the face in, in either of them but um in this one you do see the mole and so yes. the mole is used as a kind of i think very effective shorthand to indicate what he's really done here um and i think that scene works fantastically again the music is great mm. the tension is there so so it doesn't have the mystery element but it emotionally does have more success for well the pay like you said yeah the mystery element with the prison cell is less effective and less sort of important but yeah the the, the one of the things i come back to is this, this idea of manic uh, there's moments of like mania in this film, and I think sort of like you know David and or Tom Cruise has it. Sometimes it's gurning. I agree. You know, it when he when he lets loose on the doctors and he's like go and invent something, and he sort of like they give him the mask, and he has that sort of like he throws his arms around and stuff. Like it it's man it's manic, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like a sort of a choice that he's made, and you go all right. With this scene where he's sort of like he's obviously having sex with her and he's about to kill her and he's he's shouting like what is going on like what is happening and he's still having sex with her and stuff and then he starts to pull the pillow over and stuff like that feels like akin to another film that came out around this time it, again I think I mentioned it is is um, American Psycho mm. this idea of like the you know the uh, you know um, untrustworthy narrator and this idea of like this idea of delusions and not going on with perceptions of reality like. He knows that something is wrong, and like it's almost like he can't stop himself from committing this act. Like it's the only thing he knows he can do is to sort of bring it to a close. Yet he's still having sex with her while he does it, and it's it is it's manic and um you know in like crazy. It's 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 really sort of like um affected, and again played well again because yes, you've got Cameron Diaz who's back. As the sort of as the Julie sort of possessing or you know what he sees as, as thinking, and she is pissing over him a little bit in the sense of like she keeps make, like poking mm. fun at him and laughing and I mean, laughing she's, she's and taunting, laughing. yeah. And, and yeah, so, I don't know that she's taunting him as much as she 
she's laughing. She she it feels that to him, right? You know, she's well, not that, really laughing. They were laughing, right? I mean, no, it's just haunting she, him. At that moment, the, the moment before, she, one of the things she says, she quotes his dad's biography back to him about David was delightful when he was a child. Like it's it makes me feel like obviously this is his his brain. Uh, rebelling and his guilt for sort of Julie coming back to him, and so it sort of it feels like he's him his again. We mentioned it last week. That sort of idea of you know confidence and paranoia. <laughs> this is that idea coming through again and sort of taunting him and going like, "Oh, you think this was all perfect, and here I come to screw it all up." And in this case, in the in the shape of Julia, and with taunts about how you were sort of neglected as a child and these things. Um, yeah, it's really sort of creepy and, and well done. I agree completely. And, and it is, you've talked about how this isn't as creepy as the Spanish version. And that's true. But this scene is much creepier. Yeah. Um, and and I, the other thing is using the audio, using the other visuals. <laughs> mm. I mean, film is an audiovisual medium. And I love, you know, I love a good, beautiful long shot as much as anyone. But I love when it's used as an audiovisual medium with collage um, mm-hmm. to to get to this kind of place. And it's incredibly effective. It builds to that murder. And again, I identify with this. Um, you know, I not so much, you know, <laughs> killing your lover while you're having <laughs> sex with her. But I mean, with with the idea of sort of like you know this this frustration this this madness and and this idea of sort of um i mean it's there in you wind up uh in what really happened right that he couldn't escape the headaches that we're all trapped in this biological body i've had multiple concussions i banged my head multiple times and had my perceptions of reality screwed up we are all of us one brain event away from not knowing who somebody is you know yeah uh and that's horrifying um and all of us have had experiences of dreams we can get out of and things like this and i think all of us can recognize not just from that but also the sort of existential possibility that of sort of i don't know who this person is Mm. (laughs) um that's horrifying in that scene yeah, and we we went through some of these examples where we talked about opening your eyes, but it feels more like it, more so, let's say, in, in Vanilla Sky. Um, and so, let's say, although there's, like, let's go back to like, although there's not the great mystery, like, the payoff to the mystery is actually better, which is, you know, bizarre, but it works. Um, before we wrap up, there is one final thing we talked about quite a lot in the last episode, and I wanted to again draw a comparison is the final scene. So we find, you know, he, he goes to um, Ellie, um, you know, again, that mystery sort of like the payoff to that is, is to the Ellie is lesser, but we find it's life extension. He goes, he has a, a conversation with a, a Tilda Swinton, uh, which mm. is bizarre because I think it's sort of, again, I'm used to her playing much more interesting roles than, than just sort of like doctor in office. Lurk. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and then he, he has this conversation about the whole thing. He sees this, um, tech support comes and talks to him and teaches him through you get the flashbacks of what really happened about him fighting uh the, the board but the, more importantly they go to the roof and he has this thing about he has to make the choice and eventually like again they, they have this whole matrix moment where because you've got the bar scene again where he says they're all here for you they can stop blah 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 but let's talk about the doctor 
you know, you're not a fan of Kurt Russell. You, we've sort of talked about this. But... Yeah. He is, he is by far the weakest actor in this. Yeah, he's not great. In it. I, I will admit that. But more importantly, in the last, in, in the opening rounds, we were saying about how it's a mental breakdown. Like the, the guy sort of like, you know, the guy who was playing the psychologist sort of falls to his knees and he's like, I'm real, I'm real. This is played different. Um, what were your thoughts on the way that they sort of play out for the doctor in this? Well, I miss that breakdown from mm. Open Your Eyes, um, whether it was shot or, or not. On the other hand, there are, I mean, that's one of the things that I do find missing from this. On the other hand, all through this part of the narrative that you've described, there are touch after touch after touch of things that are better. Mm. Um, you know, one of our complaints about Open Your Eyes is sort of, why does he have to kill himself? Well, you know, throw himself off while well, he's scared of heights. And, and he chose this. There's one line. I chose yeah. this, didn't I? Right. I like that Ellie is now named something else because it's been 150 years later. Yes. Um, there are there are some even the sort of like uh, lucid dream fantasy thing, which in Open Your Eyes, I feel like, oh, how does this have to do with, you know, cryogenics again? Here it's presented in a way where where the same logical flaw is there but he finds it in the brochure and so mm. it, it's just it doesn't feel like as much of a problem um it's sort of organically presented yeah um, and you actually get the demonstration with the desk and, and all of that so um and and even with the uh psychiatrist i like what we don't get is the breakdown but what we do get is you know, oh, another thing that's good here is that he's called tech support. Mm. Who can forget Tom Cruise with this brilliant music playing, running through an empty building, yelling yeah. tech support. I mean, it's a wonderful moment. But tech support says, you know, what are the names of your kids? And that is a great moment that we yeah. get that I'm not sure it compensates for the, you know, what we what we don't get from Open Your Eyes. But it's, it's good. It is good. It helps. It, it, it's good because I say that uh, for the, to the Kurt Russell, the psychology character, like he says, like he appears, doesn't he? He says, oh, I can just think of a character and he'll just appear. And then he comes rushing out the door and says, oh, we've got to go. We can't trust these people. And he almost sort of like represents the part of the brain that wants to keep him in the fantasy. Like he's being, he's now being presented with a choice and he sort of presents the part of him, the subconscious that's going, no, no, stay here. Like you can have this fantasy. Um, and I do like that moment. Where he's like, "No, I'm real." And he sort of says, "He says like, well, I'm real." Like he, he's really trying to sort of like, you know, we've we've talked about it in this discussion and it's in this film this idea of real, what it is to be authentic. And he's, you know, he says, "Well, you know, I've got two daughters." And he goes back and he says, like, you know, he talks about going to plays and seeing games and all sort of stuff. And then it's all ripped under from under him when the tank supporter says, "What are their names?" And he says, uh, "And he can't answer." And he does. It doesn't. He doesn't fall to his knees and cry. But there's that sort of moment of like just confusion. Where he's like, I don't. I don't know. And one of the things we sort of complained about on the, uh, for Open Your Eyes was his dismissiveness of that character. Like he's been with him and he sort of like completely ignores him. In this, um, Tom Cruise sort of like is watching him, and he sort of before he makes his decision, he's sort of looking at him and he's looking at him process his information, and it feels more like he's not looking for him to support his decision, but he's like. Yeah, no, this is, I don't know how to process this, seeing somebody being sort of like torn asunder in this way. And then it sort of clearly works because the character says goodbye. 
You know, he says, oh, you've yeah. made, he almost accepts it. He's almost like, well, you've made your decision. You've clearly made your decision. Mm. Goodbye. And I kind of like that it gives the doc, that character closure as well, rather than just to be sat there weeping on the roof. Yeah, on the other hand, he doesn't really have closure with his friend who shows up on the roof, but they make a bigger deal out of in Open Your Eyes, mm. where there is this kind of goodbye to her. I mean, to, to the friend. Here, it, it, there's no real dialogue uh, of any meaning with the friend, and it cuts to, you know, who I want to see is yeah. Penelope Cruz, right, Sophia? Yeah, and it, and it plays out very similar then, sort of like, you know, saying goodbye, and it's he gets that choice. So, um... but, but the interesting thing about the, the, the doctor is, like, in Open Your Eyes, it's there's no contest as to what he's going to do, right? It's a fait accompli. Mm -hmm. The real world is out there. I'm stuck in a nightmare. Of course, I'm going to escape this. It feels oddly more like a choice here. It feels oh, like, yeah. you know, like the doctor may say goodbye as if it's a fait accompli, as if Tom Cruise's brain, you know, has has already made his decision. But um, but the tech support does say your finances won't go long in this world i uh, love that yes like this is not going to be a utopia for you you will be in uh penelope cruz's position as a person struggling yes in New York. yeah and, and so it it is a real choice whether to because you can go right back to the fantasy you can have the girl again you know it feels more like a real choice Mm. Well, it's presented as that. Could they even say as they're going up, they're like, "Oh yeah, there was an anomaly. We fixed that. You can go straight back." And he says, "Like you know, we can eradicate all this. You won't remember any of this. We'll go straight back to your point of choice, and you will carry on. Like there is nothing to worry about. We have tech support has fixed it. You know, we switched it off and turned it back on again. It's all good." Um, and like this idea when he, when tech support says to him, "Just it's all like open and honest." He's like. You know, it's, it's a different world out there. It's not the world you will remember and your finances will not take you far. It's a wonderful line. It's an absolutely fantastic line to, uh, to be like, yeah, you're not going to be this rich mogul that you were. And he still makes the choice because, and he says, it, I want to, I want to live a real life. And so it goes back to this idea of what we said before about the thing that attracted him to Penelope Cruz was the real, this authentic, this, this, this idea of sincerity and that's what he's looking for and he finally gets to make that choice um and that's why it feels like a character arc because he still makes that choice he, he chooses the real over the fantasy yeah i agree with you i mean and that could be underlined more by the film it's not clear i mean we have said this about why he's attracted to penelope yeah. cruz and sophia but it could be underlined better in the film but Again, it works. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's there if you look for it. And yeah, I mean, it's easy to, we can say why this fetish for the real. Give me the, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's the matrix, right? The steak tastes real. Um, you know, uh, what? why this fetish for the real? We can say that, but it works as a character arc. It, mm. it is, and ironically, it feels like more of a choice. Mm. Uh, here, whereas in the first one, these things are just not there. 
No, and it's another one where we say about I wasn't interested in seeing, per, like you know, open your eyes too. I wasn't I wasn't bothered about what happens to Cesar in the real, like him making that choice. There's a part of me that wants to see what happens to David Ames when he wakes up. Like, mm-hmm. all right, how does that play out? Because that's still interesting. There's still more for that character because he is going to wake up 150 years, 200 years into the future. He's still disfigured. He's got this, like, yeah, there's a story to tell there. So it was just interesting. I thought, like, I'm glad we didn't see anything. I'm glad that he didn't wake mm-hmm. up in, like, a techie room. But I'd be interested in that story. Yeah, and, and it's worth saying that there there is some ambiguity here. I mean, I think that both of us in both films feel like it, it's clear he's in a VR scenario. Mm. I mean, he and he, you know, wakes up 150 years later. Um, we both think that's the case, and it seems clear to us. But hypothetically, uh, he could open your eyes could be what? He's being told by Sophia on the street and he's just started the loop again. Uh, yes. You know, all of this could, in theory, be, you know, a, a delusion, you know, at, at an earlier point in the narrative. I mean, there is at least some ambiguity. And, and, and I think ambiguity is potentially rich, even mm. if it's this is not really an ambiguous uh, ending. Yeah. No, I, I understand what you're saying. There is that, there is that possibility. Uh, but as we talk about endings, we're coming to the end. So really, so Julian, any final thoughts um, on uh, on Vanilla Sky? I'm surprised how much this affected me, and and maybe the older I get, the more I, um, while I'm still a, 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 a smart grade A intellectual, <laughs> I am um, more charmed by really having an emotional connection to a film and, and to those characters. And this, at times, not only is masterfully done, but can feel like a gut punch. And so, mm. for me, that's what was surprising and stood out. What about you? No, the same. Like, you know, I was, I, I, I remember watching this years ago when it first came out, and I was like, oh, okay, I remember this. Having seen Open Your Eyes, I honest, I wasn't expecting a great deal. Oh, it's a cruise vehicle, it's going to be a bit more fluffy and i was very surprised to find out how much more this pads out the characters to make it more affecting you know like i actually care about them and their journey than what, what they're actually bringing to to the story um and so there are moments in this as we say the real like it really does um bring those moments uh you know and not in abundance but in moments, so there are moments when it's just like you say, like a gut punch, where it just is like, yeah, that's it. And it makes it much more affecting in, in that way. Um, but also in this, I think the story being padded out and, and actually I think to some of the performances makes some of the choices more common sense. Or they seem to they make more sense. Things happen like the, the, the this idea of consequences seems more legit because the choices being made seem to be sensible for the most part. Like, you know, I understand why things are happening. Um, so I, I honestly do think, you know, through this conversation, I did enjoy Open Your Eyes. I I do agree. I think Vanilla Sky is a better film. I think it's a it's a it's a, a, a more well crafted store version of this story. Some people yes. are <laughs> some people are likely to disagree with us. Yeah. Interesting. I had a look on a couple of those aggregated uh, sites. In none of them does Vanilla Sky beat out um, Open Your Eyes. I do think that it being first and, you know, in Spanish helps because I think there's that thing of like, you know, 
the original's always better, and also it's a foreign language film, so that gives it kudos, which I think is bullshit. But yeah, if, I mean, if you're willing to see it in Spanish, you're yeah. more likely to be a little more patient. And yeah, yeah. Um, but I do, I do, I think this is a good experience and uh, an interesting film. And also, I say, like, you know, this has actually driven some. We talk about the real, real conversation, like the you know authentic conversation between you and I on this podcast, and I hope you know people appreciate that. Um, the, and if you know, you're a man listening to it, have emotions. Yeah, well, <laughs> tell no, the people you, are, you love that you love them, yeah. and all the things that matter, because God knows how long you have. Exactly. I honestly, yeah, you know, like say, you know, we obviously say about reach out to us to talk about these things, but you know, it's it's difficult to reach out across social media. Um, but what I am going to do um, in the notes down below the show, I am going to put a couple of links into um, charities, mental health um, networks. You know, they're all discreet. They're all things. Just use them. If, you, if you're listening to this and this does ring a true or we've said anything that sort of, like, you know, has brought up any feelings, dude, we're there for anybody. Like, come chat to us. You know, you know how much we like to talk. But if you want professionals or you want to talk to somebody, they're the people to talk to. Uh, so have a look below for the links. Um but more importantly, you know, than your than anybody's mental health, if you like the show, <laughs> that's right. Not only am I caring about people's health, I'm a cheap whore when it comes to promoting things. Um, leave a review, go out to the pod, uh, go onto your podcast catcher, leave a review for us, five stars, four stars. All feedback is appreciated. And come find us on social media at Pod Time Space. Um, we have got a lot going on. Um, I think what you're saying is if you're suffering and you feel alone, the dopamine hit. That you are going to get when you <laughs> yeah. click like, when you click yeah. follow on at Pod Time Space, when you give it that five star rating, you will just feel that dopamine flood your brain. That's and right. You will be born again. Uh, yeah, and and if you you know if, if I tell you what, if you feel good leaving us a review, you're going to feel ecstatic when you join our Patreon. So <laughs> come check that out. So that's uh, Patreon.com/slash20cgmedia, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. So Julian and I are talking through the, the Twilight Zone. Uh, I've got the podcast on there. There's all kinds of bits and pieces. So go check it out. Uh, but guys, you know, as always, uh, legitimately, if you know, I will be serious on that. Check out those links below. Uh, they are very important. And, and, you know, to any, I am talking to the men out there. Like We've all been there. If you do want to reach out, you do struggle. Like there are people willing to listen. Um, but anyway, Julian, thank you very and, much. And for this it, it does get better. You know, remember, you yeah. know, nothing is forever. And those dark nights, there's a day. And if the next day isn't that brighter day, maybe that brighter day is in three months or six months. And you can't see it or imagine it now. Um, and I have to tell myself this routinely. Yeah. But it, 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 <laughs> the, only, the only downside I'll say is that bright day probably won't include Penelope Cruz. Sorry. Um, but, you know, we can all hope. Um, but anyway, Julian, thank you very much. Does your wife listen to the podcast? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're safe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Julian, thank you very much uh, for the conversation today. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening along. streams.